Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, the founder of Miles to Memories, and we have a really special show for you today. Amy and Tim Rutherford from Go With Less join Mark and I to discuss a ton of topics, including personal finance, the fire movement, lots of travel hacking, and what it's like to be living on the road full-time during the COVID-19 pandemic. Lots of great information, so stick around. But first, mtmpodcast.com is where you should visit to subscribe to the show or to send your friends to subscribe to the show. If you like the show, tell somebody about it, spread the word, let people know we're here. And if you want more Miles to Memories, we still have just a couple slots left in the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Miles to Memories. $10 gets you diamond level access, which is a private Facebook group, private Discord channel, and we do bonus private podcasts and other content just for our patrons. So check that out, patreon.com forward slash miles to memories. And lastly, before we get into it, if you're wondering where Joe is, he didn't join us this week for the show, but he did produce and edit it. Thanks to him. And he'll be back next week. All right, let's hit it. Hey, Tim and Amy, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we are so happy to have you. It's We've been wanting to have you guys on the show for a long time. Mark is here as well. Hey, Mark, what's going on? How's it going? Uh, I have my beer ready. How about you, Tim? Do you have any beer with you? No, I have a uh, pink grapefruit seltzer water, so no beer. Oh. It's too early. Epic, epic, epic it's fail. It's 2 o'clock. What kind of beer do you have at 2 o'clock in the afternoon? It's Well, it's 3 o'clock by me, so I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, that extra hour makes a, makes a huge difference. I think we're on the time, same time zone. Aren't you on central time? No, I'm uh, oh, Eastern. Okay. Well, so, yeah, I Michigan should be. Don't uh, happy hour start at three, so I'm all, I'm good. And don't let Tim fool you. The fact that he isn't drinking now, he is like the first one to jump this right is a in. Day, a day off. I have a day on, a day off, a day on. You know. It's, so yesterday he started uh, at ten a.m. We planned this wrong. We should have done it tomorrow. <laughs> so let's kind of we'll talk a little bit about our background. I think we met what, a couple years ago at FinCon for the first time. Was that is that right? I think FinCon or CardCon because they were together. Yeah. And yeah, so we, we met at, I think it was CardCon. Is, is yeah, it probably was CardCon because yeah. CardCon was before. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, That's yeah, right. I, I think you had reached out ahead of time and said, oh, there's a bunch of miles and points, crazy people having dinner. And I, I couldn't make that. And but I didn't meet you guys. And then this last year at at uh, CardCon and FinCon, I, we got to hang out a little bit more and, and learn a little bit more about the two of you. And I think you guys have an incredible story incredibly aspirational for a lot of people and a lot of great information to share with people. I wanted to start out with talking about how you guys met because you guys sort of met what in the middle of your journeys, right? 
Actually, I'm going to say that we started, we met before we started our, our FIRE, our financial independence journey. We met in the mid, just around 2005 online and Tim had three kids. We were both divorced. Tim had three kids. I had a dog and we were, I don't know, we met online and it was, it was great. Back then we were both kind of, Tim used to woo me with expensive, frequent gifts. And it's kind of funny because in this conversation, we'll, it's going to be a big change to where we ended up. But Tim, Tim just used to shower me with gifts, and uh, which was great. But the fact that we, so we were kind of bigger spending people back then. And we have made a 180 and both of us at the same time. So you could have retired like three years earlier if Tim wasn't such a sp- spendy guy. Yeah. Tim. It's all on me. 100%. All those happy hours. So, what what ages were you guys when you uh, when you met? If you don't mind, do you mind that? You, if you're going to ask these details, <laughs> I'm going to have to answer. Well, just every like an question. age range. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like around in our, in our upper thirties. We're okay. coming. Yeah. So we were in our upper thirties, almost forty years old. And uh, and again, Tim had three kids, and so I was I took off from work for five years to raise his kids because Tim at that point was on an airplane constantly, and it was really hard being uh, a dad with three kids half the week. And I don't know how he juggled it because when I came in, everyone's looking at me like I'm hungry all the time. And so I left my job and raised the kids for five years until they were kind of more self-sufficient. And, and that, that was really needed. So it was good that we had that flexibility. Yeah, definitely. How was it financially for you guys to merge your finances in your late thirties, whenever it was, how was it kind of merging the family and then, you know, financially for you, how was it a change from, what you guys were doing by yourselves. And normally we like to switch answers, but this one I do want to answer because I think it's important. I, when people talk about, there's a lot of judgment about people merging versus not merging finances. I don't, every couple, every money situation is very unique. And we met, we both already had IRAs. We both had significant savings. So we, we already had homes that we had. So we owned our, we didn't own it outright, but we both had a mortgage. We both had a home. So, so we came to the marriage with very different situations and very independent situations. So we, while our money is under the same umbrella, it's not connected. And that's kind of funny. And again, it's, it's something that people have that's open to judgment. But when you meet at almost, I don't know, when you get married almost at 40 years old, it's it's just different than if you meet when you have nothing in your young 20s. We, we didn't come to each other with nothing. And so for us, we didn't really, we didn't merge our money. And it, we kind of are in some funky thing right now where, um, I mean, we withdraw out of one account one month and the next month we might withdraw from the other account. So we're not like hard and fast with your money, my money, but we never combined the money. But that's primarily our savings. We have a quasi separate savings from a spending standpoint. So since I had a job and Amy was at home taking care of the kids, I paid all the bills, I paid the mortgage, things like that. So I then continued to save, but we did keep our money separate from a savings standpoint. We still have our, our investments. money. Our, our investments are separate. That's right. Yeah. I did notice that on one of your videos, you said like, uh, I think Tim had been at the beginning of the, the virus and the pandemic, Tim had pulled his money out of investments while you had yeah. kept yours in and, so that's, and I'm stuff. Still, so. I'm still uh, in the process of doing some of that. So I, I, I'm doing everything wrong, I guess, according to <laughs> normal fire guidance. So I, uh, I, I'm, I don't see how the market doesn't continue to go down. I, 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 I know no, I, I totally understand that. Yeah, it, you know it, so it's crazy? defying logic right now. 
It, it, but here's what's so crazy is we didn't get anyone who noticed, who mentioned that in a comment, which is surprising. So people haven't given us grief about our personal situation, but this is just like the, the, the internet police and the social media police. I know this is a real hot topic for people, but I was real surprised that you, so it's funny you picked that up because no one else mentioned it in our comments. And I haven't pulled all my I'm a sleuth. I, about, <laughs> you You're on it, Mark. <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> I haven't pulled all my money out, so it's like I probably have half of my money is still in the market. We'll see. I, I'm, I'm tempted a little today. bit over time, like a little bit each week or whatever, kind of mitigate well, risk. Well, I don't and know stuff. that I necessarily have a strategy. It's just what my <laughs> gut's telling me, which is again awful, awful uh, thing to do. But, Should we uh, do a disclaimer? Do not listen to this. Financial. Do not listen. <laughs> yeah, seek, exactly. seek your own financial advice and your financial professional. This is just uh, for entertainment purposes. Bingo. Bingo. And voyeurism. Yes. Yes. And, well, I mean, you guys have an incredible story. You, for me, I think the the big question is when. So when did you learn about fire, or when did you guys decide, hey, we're gonna really start saving, we're gonna make changes to our lives so that we can retire early. And I guess and travel around the world, which is what you guys are doing. When did that change in your life happen? We had multiple sort of epiphanies, I guess probably about five years ago. Is that right, Amy? So we um, we sort of found the fire movement. We found minimalism. We found the fire movement at roughly the same time. House sitting. We we really got deep in travel hacking uh, maybe six years ago. So we pulled the plug five years ago in our careers. But six years ago, we all these different communities that we were reading about and uh, the blogs and things, um, they all came together. A lot of podcasts, nomadic livers, all kinds of stuff like that. And it just it just burst. We, we took a, a trip, a European trip, had to get back to work. And I was in sales. Tim, we were both in sales, but I had a very transactional kind of a sale. So I had to be kind of hustling my quota every day, every week, making calls, things like that. And it was the last day of the month when I got back from that European trip. And the older I get, the harder I do with jet lag. So it was rough getting back from Europe with uh, that was back in Colorado. So I'm mountain time. And there I am really late trying to get my quota. And that's no way to come back from a trip. And I think with all the literature and blogs and posts that we had been reading, it was just like, you know, there's a, we, we have all these examples that there's a, a different way to go about life. And I think that was really like the, the pin was like, it got let out with, with that trip. With that one trip. So back in the day, we were spending about $115,000 a year. All the while we were able to save and put money away. And so we, we've never really had any debt other than a mortgage. And so uh, we were spending about 115k, and then when we found this fire movement uh, about five years ago, we realized that well, if we could pull our spending back enough, we could potentially pull our end date for retirement forward. So we were still looking when we first found the movement. We were thinking, well, we're still on a path to sort of normal retirement age. Normal retirement age being 55, maybe 60. So we built a plan to sort of get us down that path. We started tracking our savings and how it was going to be able to support us in our retirement. And then we realized, well, if we make some substantial changes and we get our spending really cut back, maybe we can pull the, the, the pin even sooner. And I'll tell you, when Tim says that when we spent $115,000, we actually didn't know that we would be able to reduce much more. So we would, for example, we thought we were kind of frugal. So we would take a cruise and instead of, we would be in like the cheapest room in the cruise. So on like the bottom deck in the middle of the boat with no windows and we get a room for us and for the kids, but we would do the, the excursions through the cruise line. 
or we would use like points and miles for our uh, maybe our hotel rooms, maybe our, our some of our flights, things like that. So we still thought we were quite frugal and we didn't know that there was so much room to cut. And so we were saying we're going to need to to maintain $115,000 of spending forever. And then when we really got into like, where can we slice and dice? We cut out over $6,000 a month from people who already thought we were kind of frugal. So that was really, wow. really that's, shocking. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. When we already thought we were doing well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everybody yeah. always thinks they're doing well until they actually sit down and think about it. And then that's you're like, right. whoa, how much did I really waste on that? Yeah. Okay. And the vast majority of our spending was around our home. And so selling our home was really the the thing that allowed us to move down the path a lot sooner. So we had a rental property that we moved into after we sold our big home. But all the money that you just dump into owning a home, you don't even realize how much money it costs to have to own a home. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like maintenance, upkeep, uh, remodeling. Utilities, yes. Insurance, yeah. 100%, yeah. Lawn maintenance. HOA fees. So, and then what was it like about a year ago that you finally sold the second home that you were living in? And so, no, the second home, our, our town home, we just sold it in January. So, oh, okay. uh, sort of actually good timing, or at least we think it's potentially good timing. <laughs> I think other but, people might think it's but, bad timing. Yeah, exactly. So, we are. Actually, isn't that the craziest <laughs> it's all about thing? perspective. <laughs> <laughs> we sold it when it sold in three weeks over Christmas time and at, at top price. And that's why, because we got out then it would maybe be a little bit harder to sell a home now. But who would think that during this whole coronavirus craziness that to be without a home, this is like we're 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 thrilled still with our decision. Uh, again, people would say like, Sounds see. Sounds like a nightmare to me, yeah, for sure. Exactly. And to most people. So most people didn't agree with us selling our home. They don't need to agree. It's our life. We were totally on board, Tim and I, and we had many, many reasons for selling our home, but this was a very controversial decision in our audience, among our audience. And people would say like, you need a place to come home. You need like blah, blah, blah. Here's the thing is the place where we raised our children isn't where we'd want to go back. So we are city people. That was a suburban place. It was great to raise children, but that isn't where we would want a home to be. So even if we wanted a home to return to, it wouldn't be where it was. Number one, it wouldn't be, um, we, we, we plan to be out of the country once it's safe to travel. We plan to be out of the country 10 months every single year. So to have a place and the other to have a place for two months a year in the country makes no sense. Plus, we're not going to stay there for two months. We'd be there. We, we're going to be traveling around to see family for half of that and attending FinCon for for that. And so so just to say, like, we're going to be in, in a place for one month. We do not need to own a home. And we're thrilled to be untethered, actually, even now, which even is now. I think that's like the biggest test of all. If we're OK without a home now, then we're fine. Yeah. If you can make it through this, you can make it through anything. <laughs> and we are making it through this really, like really well. So we're really thrilled about that. Well, and you mentioned your, your audience. In the intro, I, I mentioned you guys have your YouTube channel, Go With Less. You guys also have the website, GoWithLess.com. You know, how long have you guys been doing, doing, I know YouTube is the primary way that you guys are creating content right now. How, how long have you been doing that? So for roughly three years, we've had the blog slash blog. So we uh, really have been into YouTube for the last uh, two years. Our predominant platform is YouTube. So you talk mainly about fire stuff, but you also talk a little bit about personal finance and, and travel hacking on there. What makes your YouTube channel, if somebody's looking for a fire uh, YouTube channel or looking for, for information on this kind of stuff, what makes your channel different from, from others that are out there? 
it's kind of strange. There's a lot of fire blogs. There aren't a lot of fire video channels. It's it's quite surprising. So there's a handful of us. And just looking at all uh, content creators who talk about fire, about why we're different, there's actually two huge, huge ways. First is because we came to fire, we kind of got there accidentally. So we when we got to got our spending lower, we many people work on fire for, for a decade plus. We were fired within a year of even learning that it about how this worked. So a year later, it wasn't like a long buildup. So by but by drastically changing our lifestyle and making it more frugal, we were able to fire really quickly. Now a lot of people in the fire movement start off really, really frugally. And that's a lot of the ways how they get to fire so early. So there's the one thing is that people start off really frugal often. And I, I have a quick comment about just this. So there's this term in the fire movement, it's called lifestyle inflation, something you want to avoid if you're sort of early in your journey and you're looking to. So when you get a raise, you don't go spend that raise. As you're as you earn more money, you tend to spend more money. We fell prey to that. As we earned more money, we spent more money. We had a more lavish lifestyle. And then we adjusted midstream. So I think what Amy's saying is that we made this adjustment midstream. And most people either come to their journey from the get-go, they're doing the, the right things, or they have a, a lot of debt and they manage to get out of debt. But so the fact that we were big earners and the fact that we had this lavish lifestyle and that we adjusted to this lifestyle of, of spending so little. And by the way, I guess we haven't talked about our spending. We spend about $36,000 a year. That's our current level of spending. We feel like our life is so much more full now with $36,000 of spending than it was when we were spending 115 k We just can't say enough good things about our lifestyle now. So that that's something that's unique about us, I think, is that we... We came at our journey with this uh, backwards. Big, yeah, backwards. And, and then, then we, there's another one yeah. too: is that we withdraw our money to live. So the other, the main people in the fire space, the main ones earn significant money on their blogs, which is amazing. They're friends. They do great work. We, it's good for them. But we do not earn that kind of money at all. So we, last year, our entire earnings were about $5,000. The year before was zero and the year before was zero. So we're withdrawing our money so and that is earned income. our earned income from our YouTube channel and our blog. So we're not making much money on that. And the main people in the space, so the, the, it's kind of hard because they're saying, here's this great fire option, but they have this income. When they get really famous talking about fire, they never had to do the withdrawal. They never had to, to take the money out. There's a very big mental shift when you've been saving money your whole life to withdrawing money. And that, and that, that, that going flipping that one way in the other direction, it was very mentally challenging for me, but the, the big people who talk about fire the most don't have to do that because they're making good money. So a lot of people say like, well, you guys are quite different for that reason, because you are actually doing what fire is supposed to be. You're, you're using the safe withdrawal rate. You're, you're kind of doing what you're supposed to be doing. Minus Tim withdrawing all of his investments. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys mentioned like your expenses. You guys do share that in your videos, correct? You guys share your, we your, do what it's costing you to, to actually live on the road and in this new life that you guys are in. That's right. On a monthly basis, we discuss uh, exactly what it costs us to, to live our life. And so every penny that we spent in a given month, we discuss. I, kind of a question I have. I, I know a lot of people are critical of fire and they're critical of calculations people are using for the amount of money they'll need and all kinds of other reasons. With, with coronavirus and the current situation, 
do you feel like it's changed the cal- that it, it should change the calculus for a lot of people who are you know planning for a certain amount of money that they need to retire or you know should they should people be adjusting their goals due to the uncertainty of the world right now yeah i think people are going to have to adjust their i don't know necessarily the goals i think the the four percent rule which is something that's commonly discussed in the fire community and by the way we, we target more like three percent of uh, in terms of our safe withdrawal rate but I think that that number might ultimately change for people. I think the people that were approaching fire, like they were ready to launch, if you lost 20% of your, your net worth, that may make you hesitant to make the leap. So there's uh, there are people in the space who have been doing it for a while. Uh, J.L. Collins is one of the big names who sort of talks, who's been through several recessions and, and several downturns in the market. And I mean, I think you just have to trust that things are going to work. Whether it will or won't, I don't know. And so, I think adaptability is one of the biggest issues, or not issues, skills to just as like as any traveler needs to be flexible and adaptable. I mean, you guys know this really well. Hopefully, your audience does too. Fire is the same way. So things change. You need to be adaptable. So if you're really rigid, it will be kind of hard. And here we are. We're we're planning to leave the United States for ten months in a few weeks. We that trip's been canceled. Like we so. We're now in the more expensive United States compared to some of the places we were planning to visit. So I think that flexibility and adaptability is kind of our our biggest skills that we can bring to it. So when people, their plan may have changed, well, maybe their spending's reined in. Maybe just like us, our spending came down. Maybe they realized in this coronavirus, hey, you know, I ate at home much more often because I didn't want to go out. And I, so I did a lot more grocery shopping and I did, and I didn't go out shopping. I didn't go out to casinos and shows and concerts. I didn't do any of those things. And, and I still had a good life. So it doesn't mean you can't have those things in your life if you are fired, but it's just like, maybe you see like, you know what? Having a good time doesn't have to cost so much money. I, I had a great time on a hike. I had a great time with my family playing game night or something like that. We made great food in and oh, like I didn't, I, so the, there might be some shift in like, I don't need so much money because I see that I, I lived on less during this period and it might be like a little test run. I think uh, that's going to happen a lot in the business world as well. A lot of businesses are going to see the the waste during this time if they're still, you know, up and operating and all the people that travel or fly to see customers are doing Zoom meetings or whatever. And I think that's something, I think what you said, it will happen on a personal level and I think it will happen on a, a larger economic level that might be something that changes for the long-term future. You know, you might see business travel drop. You know, a lot of people will start to work from home versus office spaces will get smaller. They'll, they won't have as much overhead in that space because they realize people can be productive from home. They don't need to come in. We can save money. We have less desks. We have less computers, less electricity, less space, everything. So I do think that that'll be interesting to see over the next five to 10 years, how much that changes on a, on a personal level as well as a business level. Yeah, Absolutely. Could, could one of more. one of my girlfriends works for Citibank out of Jersey City. She said they've been told that at least until January they won't be in the office anymore because it's this big open concept plan. So, but imagine Jersey City rent, commercial rent. I mean, if that is a trend, which I completely agree with you, Mark. You see, the business is going to be done anyway. So, yeah. So we used to say that. So we we had a, a plan A, B, C, D, and E. I think, by the way, we're on about plan T right now from a, a planning standpoint. <laughs> so we, we had uh, over 200 days booked uh, this year in house sits throughout the world. And so pretty much all of those have fallen apart. How many have, have you canceled, Amy? 12 house sits, I 12 think. Sits. We haven't talked about and house so, sitting. So, some of them have been as long as a, a, a month and uh, pretty much all of them have fallen apart. And so we've had to go to plan, again, uh, whatever, whatever plan we're on. 
We don't even number them. <laughs> we, we, don't even, we don't even number them on it. But, so, and I think, like, just like Amy was saying, I think that flexibility is a key skill. If fire something you're aspiring to have in your life, that flexibility is a skill that you should just get really familiar with. Well, let's get into house sitting. That's the thing I'm most uh, excited about to talk about because I think it's like an underserved market in travel hacking. Opportunity is huge. It's something that people are getting more comfortable with, but something I don't really know much about. I just, you know, know what I've read, people's experiences. So, you know, how did you get into it? What type of websites do you use to find and how do you find like good matches? And basically they're letting you stay there for free just to make sure that their places kept up and and everything like that correct so i i'm going to take this one on because it's kind of my baby so tim really gets into the travel hacking and i get into the house and i do think just like you said it's a really good thing to have in our bag because accommodations is by far the most extensive thing if you're traveling 365 days a year if we spent that at an airbnb or a hotel that's going to be our biggest line item at the end of the year so five years ago we still had one our third and last youngest daughter was at home so we couldn't do these long long nomadic kind of trips and and long we, we weren't able to do that we had a, a daughter in junior high school and in high school so we did these little shorty um, house sits and we learned about it through the nomad like it, it's kind of they overlap a lot so uh, there's very distinct communities the nomadic uh, fire house sitting travel hacking community but there's some overlap in a little bit uh, and tim and i overlap in all of them pretty heavy duty um, but by listening to some of these podcasts and things, we just learned about it maybe five, six years ago. So when we left our careers, we started doing a little bit of local house sitting to get really good references. And it's kind of like a dating website. So you, someone puts up a profile, we do, and the homeowner does, and there's no money exchanged. So this isn't a, a business. And we pay our own way to get to a house sit. And then we stay at a place for free. Now, before it, the end, Unfortunately, I think it's mispromoted as this is a free vacation because that is absolutely not what this is. When Tim and I, so like when people are living their normal lives, whatever people are doing on weekends, that's kind of our life house sitting. You're not at museums and restaurants for 12 hours a day every single weekend of your life when you have a job. You're just, I don't know, you're, you're pottering around the house, you're seeing friends for lunch normally, you're doing errands and watching TV and what that stuff. That's what we're doing on house sitting. So we are often, we're not leaving for 12 hours a day, but there's responsibilities of pets, of a home. And I would never recommend it for someone who has one or two vacations a year to take this. But for us or people who have a lot of time to travel, I think it is unbelievable because you have to like pets. They're almost all have pets and you just man, you're just like, you're stepping right into the, the homeowner's shoes. You're sleeping in their bed. You're, you're sometimes driving their car. You're just living their, their kind of life with their pets and making sure that everything is cool. And often everything isn't cool. And that's why I would say often, sometimes everything isn't cool. And that's why I wouldn't want to recommend people do this um, who really need a vacation. Because if like, imagine if you have a sick dog, you're now caring for that dog every waking moment. So what kind of vacation is that? And it, yeah, it may be something 100%. you might want to sign for, but uh, if you have one week of vacation a year, it's probably not something you might want to do. We're, we're, we're currently at a house sit in uh, in Middle Tennessee, we're here. We were here. We were going to be here for a month. That's now been extended to six weeks. But we've only been here a week so far. We've had to uh, chase down a donkey that uh, got loose. We had to uh, got into like this. <laughs> we came out this morning. One of the dogs has a paw that's like sliced almost in two. So it's there's there's issues that you have to deal with on house sits that you wouldn't necessarily be dealing with if you were in an Airbnb or in a hotel. Yeah. 
Exactly. You know a lot of other people who are house sitting kind of full time. Oh yeah. In the world. Yeah. Yes, just like house sitting. So just as deep as there are. So the house sitting community, I'm sorry, the, the travel hacking community is a deep community and we know all the names and faces. And there's a community just like that for house sitting that does it hardcore like we do. And then there's a community in the fire space that does it as well. So it's kind of cool because they all like there's this Venn diagram and Tim and I kind of try to get in all three of those groups. And we love these groups. So whenever we travel, we love meeting anyone from one of these three groups. We're all about all about it. So if we want to get into the house, uh, the house sitting space, we just say we know Tim and Amy. Uh, <laughs> I don't they know. can vouch for us. <laughs> they vouch. They will cover it. Oh, there, and I will say, uh, Mark asked about sites. So there's a huge popular site called TrustedHouseSitters.com. It's nominal, the fee. It's maybe somewhere between $100 and $150 for the year. And like I said, after that, there's no money exchanged. But it, I would not be doing it a service to just get house sitters into it without also mentioning for people who have homes to consider having people come to your home too. So it, it's really cool when you take money out of it because it becomes more of a, of a relationship. It's almost like you're their family versus a business because we're not making any money. So it's not like we're their employees in any way. It's like we're we're partners here and and there's a win win. And more than anything, it's a win for the pets who don't have to go to a kennel, who don't have someone just coming in every two days to feed them, who really give them love and attention and affection and regular whatever their regular situation. And often we can give them more attention than their normal homeowners because we don't have kids or jobs. So we can just yeah, we don't have the kids with us, I should say. And Trusted House Centers is just the largest platform. There are I've, Many others. There are many. There are, there are maybe yeah. 10 others. Yeah. But, uh, and there but are yeah, some so platforms, actually, I think, that where it's more business transaction. What's the... Uh, There's a Rover. Rover. Rover's a different... Rover, you wouldn't really uh, travel with Rover. Yeah, some people do house-sitting on Rover as well. And uh, Yeah. Rover's more for your local community. But uh, but the, the travel as you house it is, like I said, there's no money with that one. And, and again, if you have pets and you're like, wow, this sounds too good to be true, it is. It changed your life. Now, do they usually leave like some food behind or if there is stuff left behind, do they let you just use it or are yeah. you expected to bring your own or all I know of the you above. have to buy your own? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All of the above. And so it depends upon the generosity of the homeowner and some are, especially people. So what we like to do is like blow people away with how, with the experience they have with us. So we will often leave behind a dinner or a gift, a note card, flowers, like things like that. And again, this is a free exchange and we do a rock star job. So, so our intention is to kind of turn uh, maybe a new homeowner around to say, oh, I didn't quite understand how this worked, but wow, like that's, that's really unbelievable. And so when, when you take the money out of it, it, it brings kind of cool things into it because we all, Tim and I, our, our goal now is just to really blow them away and, and give them just give the homeowner an amazing experience away from their home. Like we've got your home. You do not have to worry about it. We're going to communicate with you. And I, we do a lot of videos on our site about this. So that people understand, like, how do I how do I become a good house sitter? Because the reviews are so essential to booking good house sits. It's quite competitive. So having good reviews is really important. And so going above and beyond, like to understand what would be above and beyond. Well, we do videos that kind of touch upon that. So to understand, like, what we would watched, be normal? Uh, we watched a 10,000 square foot house in Colorado that had a shooting range in the basement. And they basically oh, said, nice. you have access to everything, including our, our alcohol cabinets. So uh, many and, people. Yeah. yeah they, so it, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's all over the map in terms of what people are putting on. the Generally. It's so was generous. it like completely empty when you left him? No, <laughs> I tried, but no, no. <laughs> Drinking some booze and shooting some guns. <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> 
was a little blind dog who had a diabetes, a diabetic shot twice a day. Poor little thing. All right. So, well, so we talked fire and we talked house sitting. So let's talk a little travel hacking uh, because I know the audience is probably uh, wanting to know a little bit more about that as well. How did you guys uh, get into the world of travel hacking? How did you discover miles and points in this whole hobby? Yeah, so I, that probably was my find. So I traveled for business for most of my career. And I guess about five years ago, maybe even a little further back, probably, uh, unfortunately, a little later than I would have liked to figured it out. But I realized that I, I could get on a plane and fly 100,000 miles in a given year, or I could sign up for a credit card and earn 100,000 miles. And so it was a little easier to just simply sign up for a credit card and earn 100,000 miles. So uh, I've been earning points and miles throughout my career of traveling and realized the value through business travel. And then uh, again, about five years ago, I got more heavy into uh, signing up for credit cards. We currently have between us roughly 30 cards. So I know probably with your audience, that may not seem like too many, but question who are you sending these credit cards to when you sign up for new ones since you're moving all over to to get your hands on them so oh so we actually have a mail service in texas so when we sold our house in colorado in january we moved in texas and now we domicile in texas and domiciling in texas basically means we have a p.o box there a fancy uh, p.o box. a fancy p.o box <laughs> there's a, a service set up there called escapees rv club and they're set up to obviously accommodate people who are RVing around the country. We're not doing that, but it just so happens that they uh, can accommodate us as well. So our mailing address is in Texas, which is nice because we don't have to pay state income tax anymore. Which is why uh, we did the move. Yeah, but all of our credit cards can go there as well. Since we've moved there, I've only signed up for one new card. So I, in the last uh, four or five months, I've only signed up for one card. And it was with Chase, and it was a little bit of a challenge Oh yeah, that um, was with, a uh, I had to get on the phone with Chase like five times. I trying had to go to the branch at least four times in yeah. four different states. It was a it was a disaster. But nonetheless, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't look <laughs> that doesn't look shady at all. No, right? <laughs> because they had here's here was the trouble is that because he had a new address, he had to verify his driver's license, which is now Texas. Well, they had to he they had to scan all they had to do was take a a scan of his driver's license and have that be official. Like this is my address and my driver's license. It took Chase with this was like the three stooges to get this happening with an well, hour in the branch every time. Well, the challenge is when you call in the reconsideration line, you may or may not get somebody who knows what they're doing. And the same thing is true with the branch. When I went into the branch, I, I ran into people who did or didn't know what they were doing. And so um, the first branch I went into, there was some VP there who told me this is the way it worked. And she didn't have a clue about how it worked. And so I think she set things off down the wrong path. If I'd have went to... Uh, the right branch the first time or found somebody at the branch who knew how to do things right, it wouldn't have been a big deal. But anyway, it was a pain in the butt. So is your, your driver's license then, is this P.O. box basically? That, that's exactly right. It's just a, an address in Texas. But it's not a, a P.O. box. So, it has to be yeah. a high, the one I call it like fancy, it, it's not like it has flowers on it. It's uh, <laughs> It doesn't say P.O. <laughs> box 2476. But well, it's like an enhanced service. So we, it, it, we're kind of, quote unquote, renting a space. So we don't have any rent. We don't have any home or anything like that. But we do like have this rental box, which counts. So that's how we're able to register a car there. Because it is hard to have no, you can't just have like a regular P.O. box and have that be okay for things like credit cards and, and yeah, stuff like that. This a Patriot Act thing. And so after okay. the Patriot Act, it made things really difficult. Uh, and so this service, for whatever reason, manages to get around whatever limitations that come with if you had a, a UPS store, FedEx store box, 
uh, they get around that. So it's a legitimate address. It's run by attorneys. It's huge. They have over 10,000 people who are in it. So it's a big thing. And we, we feel good that we are with people who know what they're doing. And then when you want to, when you move to a new place, you just get like, you update your, your new forwarding address and then they, they no. forward everything to you. So or? We just basically call them up. We have a little bit of money there on, on hold, like 50 bucks. And we call them up and say, Hey, can you send me my mail? And they just send it to you wherever you are. Okay. And that, so you, you kind of break it down where maybe they only send it once every week yeah. or two to, to cut on costs. Well, yeah. Last time we had it every six weeks. Yeah. Oh, okay. We just, yeah, yeah, we just call them whenever we want it. So because we, we don't know, get much mail yeah, anymore. If we know something's there, we call and, and have them send it to us. Yeah. Six weeks, that's like half a sign-up uh, time frame, though. Well, that would be different. Yeah, so no. So Tim would, Tim would definitely plan getting get a, the mail. Get a little bit earlier, and, yeah. And also, that's why he's only had one card. Also, the MS opportunities are very different here. Um, it just It is just different. So we're here we are in coronavirus. We're not going to the store doing normal stuff to meet spending. So it's just, it's definitely turned a bit of a corner for now. Yeah, for sure. For and we sure. do something kind of interesting as a couple. So I don't know that I, I know people that do it this way, but Tim collects all the points and then I spend all the points. And I'm really careful. Like, just like we're very, very careful with our money. We track it. We talk about it. We're just as careful with our points and miles. And so we aren't the people who are doing the high-end, first-class, business class. So you're not Sean? <laughs> Sean does not try. Hey, Sean, does, Sean sometimes goes frugal. But, uh, but we're really uh, careful I have more with it. Sean hasn't more. been frugal since he was 28. <laughs> I have been, I have had lunch with him okay. and he has. Yeah, <laughs> I'm we just went, kidding. We had an amazing, uh, amazing lunch here. Yeah. No, I, 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 I mean, I flew, uh, last year I flew in an economy more than I flew in business I class. I know. Get off his case there. So... <laughs> I flew, I flew Norwegian Orlando to Paris. Okay. With like 28 inch pitch. <laughs> so there you go. That's hardcore. Yeah. So Tim and I are always uh, doing that. And, uh, we also and... uh, do something else we're not supposed to do and that we hoard points. And so oh, yeah. we have points in a lot of different programs. And so we have a widespread of points. Um, Our situation now makes it very different because we can't add on the points like we, like others would in the country. Yeah. So we just figured it gives us lots of opportunities when deals come around that we can sign up for whatever deal we want to sign up for. And we'll eventually burn through them unless everybody goes bankrupt and then they're worthless. So uh, So now is the plan like when you're, um, you're your plan was to be 10 months overseas and then two months back in the U S. So were you going to kind of focus your earning on the two months when you're stateside or we're going to try to do some stuff overseas? No, well, with, with what limited things we could do. So I don't know that we, I would sign up for a new car and then hop on a plane and be gone for 10 months. So that would be challenging, but we, we would probably still do some MS with gift card reselling and things like that. While, while we're abroad, things that we could do while we're on the road, do like online stuff, like online that, arbitrage. That's exact, and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, but, but that's sort of, at least for me, that's relatively limited. So I'm not shipping myself gift cards in, in Europe or anything like that. And also China. we're only in a place for about four weeks. So to have it shipped, like that's kind of a hard thing because we never know when it will get there. It's one thing in the U.S. when you know it's going to be, it's two-day two shipping on our package. Internationally, it's a little different. So you said you have points in a ton of programs. What are your kind of go-to programs that you find are the most rewarding for you? Which ones are you actively yeah. trying to get more points in and, and use often? So our favorite is, is Chase, Ultimate Rewards. So that's probably our, our biggest focus just because of uh, uh, primarily the five-by office supply category. Is It's easy to, to, to earn those points with the cars that we have. So that's probably our predominant earning tool. And then I also have a lot of miles in United and Marriott. 
uh, just from my business travel days. And so I have top tier status at Marriott Lifetime Titanium. So you must like pain. Yeah, I know. Marriott. Everybody's been bond void. We haven't really had a. Actually, we love I was going to say, sorry, sorry that those are the two ones that you have a lot of. <laughs> yeah. We love them. So if you're Couldn't Titanium, Delta, yeah. no, we're, 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 I know that your audience isn't a big fan of. Uh, Marriott's new program, but we have been treated pretty well. We're gonna yeah. like really well. And then our third, and then air, airline wise, so Southwest, we're huge fans of the Companion Pass, and we have a Companion Pass, and that's the one card I signed up for was the Southwest card, a personal card that offered seventy five k. So uh, and now, then, do you do you plan on focusing on uh, Companion Pass still in the future if you're well, going to be overseas most of the time, or not, or... not really? So that we don't know what next year is going to look like. We don't know what this year is going to look like. Might as well next yeah. year. And so, um, but I, that's I not think, the plan. No, I think I am going to because of the what they've done to change the the Southwest program. I think I can probably MS uh, a companion pass at least for uh, for next year. Which Amy currently owns has a companion pass that it was scheduled to expire in December. Obviously, that's been pushed out to the middle of next year. So I figure I can just MS enough to get us uh, a companion pass the remainder of, of 2021. And so whether we need it or not, it's, it's just, it should be easy it's enough extra to, points. It, 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 it's extra points to have in the Southwest program. And just, it's easy enough to, to make that happen. I don't know if I can make, I don't know what the A-list qualifiers are. I probably won't make that happen, but, uh, but that's a program we really like as well. All right. What's your kind of close out the, the travel portion here? What is your kind of best advice for somebody who's new to the travel hacking hobby or just kind of starting to see the value in miles and points? Uh, what would you recommend that they, that they do? I'd recommend signing up for, so we often chat with people who say, I have this one card and I use this one card for everything. I've had it for five years. I'm doing great on travel hacking because I have this one card I've had for my whole life. So get new cards, have the sign up bonuses, take advantage of sign up bonuses would be my answer. I'll add to that and, and try and stay focused on a, a program, for instance, ultimate rewards. So transferable programs I we really like. So the value, especially now, so who knows if American or Delta or United is going to be around in, in two years. And so if those programs were to go away, transferability is incredibly value, valuable. And so, um, again, I, I would focus on a transferable program, whether that's Amex's program or City's program. I think now is a little easier to earn points in or whether it's uh, Chase and Ultimate Rewards. Focus on one of those and uh, just try your best to earn as many points as you can in, in one of those transferable programs. And it's great. Those transferable programs do have cash value at some point. You can, in an emergency, cash them out for some sort of a value. So they're like, I, I know I have a lot of points in all three of those programs that I don't plan on cashing out. But uh, if I needed to, I could actually turn those into cash, whereas all of my American Airlines miles that I have are really not worth anything. Uh, if I, or Virgin yeah. Atlantic. Yes, or Virgin <laughs> Atlantic. Or hopefully not Life Miles. We'll see what happens with that uh, program. But uh Lot, I imagine a lot of airline programs are going to be under a lot of stress. A lot of airlines, of course, are, and uh, many won't survive. So it's going to be a, a pretty yeah, I crazy think, uh, Sweet spots are going to be something that goes away, and it's going to go to more like more like the Southwest or Delta type of thing where in the future airlines are going to look to cut costs, and it's going to be more static award chart or based off of the price of the ticket. And then the sweet spots will be like web specials or something like that, you know. That's that's what I envision the next five years to look like. 
And what's kind of cool with our lifestyle is that we have a lot of flexibility on that too. So we tend to look at where we go is often based on where can we get a good deal to go. So it's a little different now that we're looking to go somewhere for 10 months. But in the past, people would say like, where are you going next? I'm like wherever it's cheap. I don't know. Like, well, wherever we can get a good fare is where we're going to go and where it might be affordable to stay. So, yeah, so we we are very reactive to those good deals. And that's kind of is what has built our travel plans historically. So, so. do the deals kind of drive your travel then? Like, I know you guys have planned usually like a, a year out and it's probably you have to book stuff for home sitting and everything. Do you kind of look at flight deals and have that push where you're going to look for housing um, house yes. sits or, yeah. or is it? Yeah. Totally. So Tim gets all, he has a hundred plus RSS feeds. He's on a day. So he's always reading out loud, like these deals. I'm like, we are totally booked for a year. We will no longer be able to do that. Our lifestyle doesn't work just with the new environment with uh, COVID. But um, so the answer is yes. In the past, we have done our travel often just like that. And then just filled in around like, oh, like, okay, we're going to be flying to Paris. Let's find some house sits in France. But um, but now moving forward, we're a little different. So we say, OK, we're going to go to Asia for the next six months. We're, then we're going to come hopefully to Eastern Europe for several months for the summertime, maybe to back home to the U.S. for a few months, then to South America for 10 months. So we don't have to be so but maybe we'll just pick where should we go in South America, wherever we can find a good we'll be looking for a good fare to South America. So and then it's just only one flight instead of it's, it's not a big deal if it's only getting like one round trip to get to the continent. Something always anchors a trip. It's not necessarily always a flight. So we might find a great house sit in Asia, or we might find a good flight to Asia that sort of sets the wheels in motion. And then we find things that sort of to, to, to make it come together. So we have a trip scheduled to Japan in uh, November. Uh, and then we weren't planning to go to Japan. <laughs> no, we weren't planning to go to Japan. <laughs> that was a good deal. And then we found, uh, Amy found a house sit in Malaysia um, that was lined up around Christmas time. So uh, we were just we're going to stick around Asia. Assuming we get to Asia, our plan is to stay in Asia for roughly six months um, once we get there. But that was what drove that was we found a good cheap flight to Japan. Awesome. All right. And I, we I have like to, that lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> well, Fly by the seat of our pants. Yeah. I like it. Mark, you've still never been to Asia, right? No, I have not. Neither have we. We keep I'm going waiting. to Europe. I'm waiting for Sean to, to take me on these fancy well, flights. Well, hopefully there. we're going to Africa, to South Africa and what. When is February. That, January? February. February. Yep. We have some house sitter friends that are stuck there. Yeah. Not oh. a bad place to be stuck. No. Well, they haven't been able to leave their house, so. Oh, oh then, then not not a great place to be stuck. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we close out, I think your guys' story is so inspirational. I know that I uh, am so glad that I know you and, and I've had so, some opportunities to talk with you about this because I feel like not enough people are planning their financial future. So I just wanted to ask, you know, what is the most important financial advice that you could give somebody to, you know, to, to save money, to put themselves on better footing and possibly maybe even to retire early? We'll both have an answer. Why don't we both do two parts? Sure. So the, the thing that we sort of preach the most is you really need to track. You need to know how much money you spend. And so uh, not necessarily have a budget. I think budgeting is the thing that people talk about the most. But I think the tracking your spending and understanding your spending uh, is incredibly important to figuring out what your financial future is going to look like that look like. And so I'd say that if you don't track your spending today, get on top of understanding how much money you're spending. And there's all kinds of free tools, mint.com, for example, super easy and free. 
And then mine would be to piggyback on that and to spend less. So I, that, that's really been the key to us being able to retire early. And it allows us, again, it comes back again to flexibility. So if we ever need to go back to work, we don't need to go back to, first of all, hopefully it's been five years of fire. We don't, our plan's working great. We're spending less than we thought that we, we would. We spent less than we thought that we could. So, um, so having the, the less spending less money gives us more options. It just means that if we ever needed to go back to work, we don't need to go back to the same kind of jobs that we left. We could go work at Starbucks and that would support $36,000 a year for two people if we had nothing left. So, so getting your life lean and mean is, and again, not sacrificing a good life, but just not having to spend a lot for it is, is really where we are all about. Yeah. I think that's where the real freedom comes from knowing that you could pick up pretty much anything uh, any job, you know, minimum wage, whatever, and still be okay when you when you get set to a certain spend pattern and you're used to it and your lifestyle is good. I think that's where the real freedom comes from. Or go geo arbitrage and move somewhere cheaper, like in another country. Yep. Another, yeah. But it's fun to live in expensive places. There. It is. I, <laughs> and I've lived in New York City, so I I I, yeah. I, I totally agree. I, I but here's the thing: we go house sit there. Yeah, exactly. Find ways to do the things that you want for less. And people, yeah. So it's great so that we, we've been to San Diego a few times house-sitting, Santa Barbara, Manhattan twice. Well, New York City, Manhattan, and Brooklyn once each. Uh, France twice. We had a, a phenomenal summer that we had canceled from the house-sits in Scotland and England and Provence, France. So, I mean, we're, the deal is, is you're right. High cost of living areas rock. Go house-sit. There you go. And we got to close it out there. But I thank you guys so much for spending some time with us today. And just to, to make sure everybody can find you uh, after they listen to this, where is the best place that they can uh, look you guys up and, and find you on the Internet? Well, we put out a video every week on our YouTube, which is Go With Less. There's no spaces in that. And then we have an active Instagram, uh, Facebook. And I'm trying to get our blog going again. But life is kind of is too fun to be sitting down and writing. Less. When our Instagram is weird, it's uh, <laughs> We Go With Less. That's right. Everything else is go with less, except for Instagram. Yeah, and I and I can admit that their their videos are great. They share great information, and it's always nice to see uh, see them pop up on my my notifications for YouTube and and uh, go watch their videos. So definitely check out their their channel. Yeah, and check us out milestonemories.com and mtmpodcast.com if you want to subscribe to the podcast. And uh, yeah, until next time, uh, we will. Uh, See you later. Thanks again, guys, for, for coming and hanging out with us. Thank you, yeah, thank you for joining. Thanks, guys. See you soon. Stay safe. Bye.